So we've been answering questions over the last few weeks, and a lot of them have had to do with things uh, revolving around like eschatology and that kind of thing. Uh, We did, however, get a few questions recently from Karen, and these have to do with the, the subject of prayer, and even more specifically, the idea of praying in the Spirit or praying in the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? Uh, she also asks questions about what is meant uh, about this in regard to Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15, where there is mention of praying in the Spirit, uh, even uh, in the midst of a discussion on tongues and prophecy and those kinds of things. Or what about Jude 20, or even Ephesians 6.18, at the end of Paul's great discussion on the uh, the armor of God and how we're to put it on. And he includes prayer in this idea uh, where we pray it with all kinds of prayers and praying in the Spirit. Well, um, simply put, praying in the Spirit speaks about the idea of praying in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus would describe him in uh, John 14, uh, John 16, John 15. I mean, there's mention in the upper room in these last words that Jesus uh, really has with his disciples prior to the cross He is investing in them with some massively important ideas, and so I encourage you to read that entire Upper Room Discourse. But as relates to our question here, I wanted to start by just pointing out that the Holy Spirit is not a force that we tap into or or some means by which we get what we want or something, but the Holy Spirit, as Jesus would say in John 14, is somebody whom Christ himself sent and was going to send. Um, as a, in concert and connection with his own death. He says, it's good that I go away, because if I go away, then I'll send the Helper, uh, the Holy Spirit. And this, he proceeds from the Father, but he is yet distinct from the Father. Jesus refers to him in John 14 as someone who is just like him, but refers to him as someone who is distinct from him. And so, again, we have this picture of triune, uh, the triune nature of God, Trinitarian theology in view here. Uh, And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I guess I just want to lay that out, that we're not talking about tapping into some force that that we sort of enables us to get things that we're asking for. It is interesting, by the way, that in John 14, right before he talks about the Holy Spirit, he does say, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. You know, the Father's given me all things and therefore ask of me and I'll give to you and these kinds of things. When Jesus talks about prayer, he talks in very, very broad terms. He speaks in very, very open kinds of terms. Ask, please ask, continue to ask. Uh, knock, please knock, continue to knock. Uh, seek, please seek. And it's, it's, it's the idea of the verb there is that of, of persistence and, and asking with expectation. Um, and, and goes on to say, why would God withhold a good thing from you? Well, so when we talk about praying in the Spirit, what we're talking about is entering into uh, that that sense of relationship with God and asking, uh, knowing that we have that relationship with God. Matter of fact, um, let me read a little bit here from John 14. Uh, I'll read the the pertinent passage here, uh, starting in verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, uh, that he may abide with you forever. And the word helper that means someone who comes alongside. Okay, not only does he come alongside, but Jesus goes on in, in verse 17, it says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, who is just like Jesus, though distinct from him, like him in terms of his character, his nature, he's not the X factor of the Trinity and this kind of thing. But the idea that he's going to come and be with the disciples, and he would also then therefore be in the disciples. 
He would indwell believers. We see this happen in John 20 when Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. And that, in that moment, they become what we, would, what we would define as New Testament believers. But the Holy Spirit is somebody that the world does not have access to, but you and I do. He is somebody who interacts with us and even dwells within us. And the invitation is to know him and to walk with him and recognize his presence in our lives. As a matter of fact, Paul would say we're even sealed by the spirit of promise uh, until that redeemed, purchased possession is ultimately uh, fully redeemed and that kind of thing, brought into uh, the Lord's very, very physical, practical possession. We're, uh, we're still in these bodies that we're in, but one day we will fully realize what our redemption is about. Um, and so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, just to lay that foundation again, we're talking about a person, somebody who said to a group of men praying about uh, a mission, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have, uh, somebody who distributes gifts as he will, 1 Corinthians 12, somebody who can be lied to, uh, and who is called God in Acts chapter 5. And so when we talk about praying in the Spirit, we're really talking in some sense about praying with the, the aid of the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge that the Holy Spirit lives within us, even in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, would take those groanings that are expressions of prayers that we don't even know how to put words to and would bring them before the Father and that kind of thing. So praying in the Spirit speaks of these kinds of things. Uh, hopefully that's a little bit helpful. Let me go ahead and go on to the next question. That has to do with 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Well, tongues, as we are told, is a language that is a mystery to the one who is speaking. If, again, if we read uh, chapters 12 through 14, we see the expression and description and explanation of what tongues and prophecy and some other gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, that are mentioned by Paul in this passage are about. Well, tongues is something that, by definition, is a language that the speaker has no prior knowledge of. So it, what Paul speaks about praying or singing in a tongue uh, we know from Acts chapter 2 that there is that tongues is a language of praise of the great and glorious things of God. And so when Paul, in prayer, prays in tongues, he doesn't know the words that he is saying, excuse me, in Hebrew or, 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 or Greek, any of the languages that he knew. Uh, he was speaking, and we don't know what his tongue language was, but he was speaking in a language that he personally had no knowledge of. Now, if he prayed among other believers and somebody either knew that language or was given a gift of interpretation in that moment, uh, or if Paul himself was given uh, the capacity to interpret his own uh, prayer or song uh, in tongues, then he would then have understanding. But the general rule is that, or the general uh, thing about tongues is that you don't know the language, and so you wouldn't naturally understand it. And so he does say that it is that he will pray both in tongues, but also he'll pray with understanding, and he'll sing in tongues, he'll sing in understanding. In other words, it is a, and I don't have the gift, but I would assume it's a, a beautiful expression of worship and, and a, a miraculous thing to experience, but at the same time, you also want to be able to pray with understanding, too. You're not just going to pray and not know what you're saying. You're also going to be praying with your understanding. So um, uh, hopefully that gives some clarity to that. Um, the next, there's actually a couple more here. Uh, what is being referred to in Jude 20? Well, let's turn to Jude 20 and see what is being said here. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Um, now, by the way, the discussion in the book of Jude, by and large, the theme of the book is false teachers and uh, and all this kind of a thing. And so, uh, by contrast, and really this moves into uh, the last section of the book, which really becomes uh, really the highlight, the you know sort of the happy place of the book, because the rest of the book previous has generally been about false teachers and their doom and demise coming and all that kind of thing. But by contrast, Paul or uh, Jude, did I say Paul earlier? Jude says. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most on your most holy faith, okay. Uh, in contrast to those who are seeking to undermine, you build on your holy faith, praying in the Spirit. Now, again, if we sort of connect the dots with what Jesus talked about, the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, which, by the way, we only talked about a little bit of that. The Holy Spirit will call to your remembrance the things that Jesus said. He would tell his disciples. Um, in Luke, we're told that when you're brought before magistrates uh, and you're not prepared with what to say, don't worry about it because the Holy Spirit will give you a word in that time. That's not a uh, that's not an encouragement not to study, not to think about what you might say. But in that moment, if you're caught off guard and all of a sudden you're just sort of stuck and you don't know what you're going to bring to bear on this moment, the Holy Spirit will meet with you and, and give you the words to say in that. Um, so praying in the Holy Spirit, uh, the idea that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit is again, I think, what's in view here in Jude. The idea is that we are building up our most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. Um, the idea, again, that we have this entrance into the throne room of God, ushered in by God the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, and even if we go to that place and we're not even sure how to express uh, what is on our hearts, again, Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit will take that deep burden of your heart and bring it to the Lord uh, and that kind of thing. So I think that's really kind of all that is really being spoken of there. And then lastly, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Now, again, this is the passage in Ephesians where um, where Paul talks about the armor of God. Actually, when we finish Revelation on Sunday mornings, I haven't even announced this in church yet, but those of you who are part of our fellowship, you'll uh, hopefully be excited about this. But once we finish Revelation, uh, shortly thereafter, we're going to take a study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, I've been talking a lot about the coming of Christ and all that's going to happen uh, just preceding his arrival. But Ephesians is one of those great books that helps us uh, learn what it means to walk practically with Jesus in the days between now and then. So it'll be a great, great, great study. It's a great word to go through, so we'll do that. But in Ephesians chapter 6 today, um, notice here what Paul has to say. Again, he's talking about the whole armor of God. Uh, he says in verse 12, or in verse 11, uh, well, let me just go back to verse 10. I do that so often, don't I? Uh, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand, and then he goes on to enumerate the components of the armor of God. Now, obviously, these are not physical pieces we're putting on, but they are reminiscent of like what a Roman soldier would put on. Uh, he'd put on the breastplate. He'd put on uh, the girdle or the the belt in order to hold all the pieces in place. He'd have the helmet. He'd have the shield and the sword, and uh, he'd have his sandals that are that are ready for forward combat and that kind of thing. Um, it's it's clearly an illustration that's intended to sort of paint that picture, but then sort of apply to those pieces, figuratively speaking, 
um, you know, uh, sort of bits of spiritual armor that we would put on, which really speak of the principles that we in our hearts and minds want to embrace and even continue to press forward with. Notice he enumerates them. Again, uh, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And oftentimes, it's people who are looking at the passage will stop there. Uh, there it is. I've got the shield and the helmet and the sword. I've got the breastplate on and the belt and the shoes, and I'm ready to go and all this kind of thing. And we'll talk about it. There's no armor on the back and everything. It's about advancing and this kind of thing. Well, remember that though that is true, there is one more component, one more resource, maybe is a better word to use, that is given to us in this battle that is not against flesh and blood, but is against spiritual uh, principalities and powers and such. There's another component, and it goes on in verse 18. Praying. Praying, okay? Prayer is not, um, you know, sometimes in Acts chapter 2, when we read through that section, verses 42 to 47, uh, about the four legs of the stool that the church is ultimately built on there in the first century, the apostles' doctrine and, uh, and, and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers and this kind of thing. And we think, well, prayers mentioned last as if these things are necessarily intended to be sort of in order per se. Uh, they're all important, and I suppose a, 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 a case could be made that the word is, is and, and teaching is the most important thing. But really, I don't think the intention was to sort of give a checklist of four things in descending order of importance. I think all four as a composite are important for the life of the church. Prayer is not the least important. You could make a case that it is among the most important things that we can engage in as believers because it is our capacity to now communicate with the, with the Father, uh, to pray for answers to prayer, to pray for leading, to pray for understanding, to pray for wisdom and whatever might be needed, to pray for protection, as the case may be, you know, whatever it might be. Prayer is, is my old pastor used to say, prayer is like our our, our lifeline to HQ. It's, it's the way we, we, we connect with home and that kind of thing, uh, with headquarters and that. And so Paul goes on here and describes prayer this way. He says, praying, and again, it's part, of the, it's part of the discussion on the armor, praying always, okay, in all things, be praying. Uh, he would say elsewhere, pray without ceasing. Now, obviously, you can't close your eyes and, and pray all the time because you have to walk places or even drive places, and we drive by sight, not by faith, right? So, uh, But the idea is that we should always be in a sort of a spirit of prayer. We should always be at the ready to seek the Father and to, uh, to, to you know, sort of go arm in arm with the Holy Spirit as He leads us into that secret place of the Most High, as He... Uh, as, as we gather with him and open our hearts and our mouths and, and make our requests known to God uh, and that kind of thing. We should always kind of be in that place. And again, I, I, not to diminish the importance of taking time aside to get on our faces or to close our eyes or get on our knees and that kind of thing. That's also important, privately and corporately. But we always want to be in a place where we can be praying. There's no time when we can't be praying. Even Nehemiah, for example, who was uh, standing there before the king, and the king saw that his face was kind of, his, his, his countenance had fallen. And so he asked him, what's up? And Nehemiah quickly prayed to the Lord and then made his request known. Even in that moment, just a two-second prayer. What about Peter when he's sinking? Save me. Arguably the most sincere prayer in the Bible. Uh, but always being in a, in a position of prayer or a, a, a readiness for prayer. 
uh, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, uh, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, Paul would go on to say as well for himself that he would have uh, boldness to preach the gospel. And so the idea of, of praying always with all prayer and supplication um, the idea of supplication has sometimes been described as being sort of the position of prayer. Now, that can speak to your heart's position or your physical position, but the idea here is to always have your heart in that place where you're ready to come before the Lord, uh, praying in the Spirit, as we've talked about before, the idea that the Spirit engages us and, 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 and you know, becomes sort of, I don't want to oversell the idea of a liaison per se, but the idea of the Holy Spirit being present in our prayer, sometimes prodding us, bringing, I find myself, as a matter of fact, often uh, asking the Lord in times of prayer to bring to my heart and mind those things that are on His. And I, I, I know there are times when the Holy Spirit sort of brings something to my mind that I would not have necessarily thought about, uh, or maybe I'd forgotten entirely about, and He reminds me of it, and that kind of thing. But praying in the Spirit, um, um, the idea there of again, engaging with the Holy Spirit in these times of coming before the Father in Jesus' name. And, um, um, uh, and I, I think that is essentially, in essence, is what is being spoken of when we talk about praying in the Spirit. Um, some, sometimes people will go a little far on this and they'll say they're praying in the Spirit. What that means is they get into this sort of uh, either fully ecstatic or almost kind of ecstatic kind of a place where uh, where they are just in this different place, in this other plane in prayer and that kind of thing. Um, I'm not saying that the Lord can't overwhelm us and that he can't uh, bring us to a place like of, of just, you know, praise and worship, and it's, which would be beyond our normal posture maybe and that kind of thing. But sometimes um, there is, uh, and this is where I think a danger can come in, and it's probably worth just mentioning at least in closing, um, the Holy Spirit, I do believe, by the way, and Christians will disagree and have various positions on this, but I really do believe that the Holy Spirit can impress our hearts with things, bring to our remembrance what Jesus said. I think that the Holy Spirit is active in the life of a believer this way. And I do even believe that the Holy Spirit can, in the same way that he did in in, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 13, give direction about things that, that he wants done. Um, I don't think there's a reason to think that that stopped. However, big, massive, gigantic caveat the scripture is always the primary source through which we hear God. If we're claiming that the Holy Spirit has told us something, we need to make sure that we can either support it in scripture uh, or make a case that this this could in fact be from the Holy Spirit based on scripture. Um, and we need to be willing to be corrected if it turns out that what we're claiming the Holy Spirit said doesn't come to pass or it turns out to be um, rejected by others who are also spirit-filled believers and maybe don't agree with what that statement might be. Um, nobody gets a free pass because they say, I'm hearing from the Spirit. Uh, the others are supposed to. I, I would imagine the same Spirit that we see in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, it becomes and it behooves those believers who are there, uh, mature, spirit-filled believers themselves, to listen to that word that is claimed to be from the Holy Spirit and to judge whether or not it is. You're not being wrong by judging that kind of thing. As a matter of fact, you're protecting the purity of the body in prayer and that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to praying in the Spirit, that's not something that is reserved for some super spiritual few. This is something that is, uh, that is a real thing for the average believer. Uh, somebody who is is a believer is by definition uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, we're not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit right now and all that kind of thing. But every believer has the Holy Spirit living within them, which means when we talk about praying in the Spirit, we're not talking about something that is reserved for some super spiritual group. We're talking about something that is the daily experience of the average believer, uh, not just the apostles, but the instruction here with Paul in Ephesians uh, or Jude in, in Jude 20 um, or, or Paul in Romans 8 is for the average Christian who is receiving this word. And so this is something for people just like you and I, not, you know, again, super spiritual saint kind of people. Um, so hopefully that gives a little bit of insight into this. Um, and uh, again, if there are further questions on this, uh, feel free to, to share them on our YouTube channel, on our comment section, or by email. Uh, you can email me at Pastor Brian at uh, CalvaryChapelFranklin.com. Um, always look forward to having you come pay us a visit if you like. If you're in the area or coming through Tennessee and you're going to be around Franklin, come on out and pay us a visit. We'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. Um, but in any case, um, great questions and great to spend time growing in our relationship with the Lord together on this. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and grace toward us. We thank you that the Holy Spirit lives within us and that we can pray in the Spirit. We can come before you and know that even in those moments when we don't even know how to express what's deepest in our heart, Father, the Holy Spirit is present with us to take those requests, those prayers, those groanings, and to bring them before the throne of grace. We thank you that we have open, unfettered access to your throne, Father, and we thank you that we are sealed until the day when we physically and our glorified bodies will be there before you as well. Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to wait until then to have a living, vibrant relationship with you even now. We pray that we would see Jesus more clearly than we ever have as we spend time in prayer, seeking to have him glorified in the kinds of things we pray for, always submitting our wills to his, and just thanking you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit seeks to glorify the Son uh, and, and, and even brings our, you know, answers our prayers in, in, in accordance with your will, as your word says. And so thank you for this and the freedom that it brings us to know that whenever we ask anything according to your will, we know that we have what we ask. So thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you. We bless you and exalt you and seek to make you great in the eyes of those around us. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.